Hey friends, when is the time you've had to let go of old expectations of yourself, someone else, or even God because it was no longer serving you? Our guest today says that learning to reframe your expectations and understand that you are loved regardless of what you produce is a life-changing realization. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 352, Lindsay Medford and Releasing Expectations. friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Super grateful that you're here downloading. Literally yesterday, as we were recording this, Halfway There turned seven. Can you believe that? Uh, it's, it's been, we started in 2016, June 6, 2016, and now the show is seven. By the time you listen to this, it'll be long past that. But I wanted you to know and to celebrate with us a little bit because it's it. Uh, if you had told me in 2015 that someday my podcast would be that old, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought, wow, I don't know if I can make it that long. But here we are. And we got a great story for you today. I'm glad you're here. As always, if you want to support the podcast, the way to do that, best way is Patreon. You can go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com. There's a little Patreon button. Click that five bucks a month or whatever you can do is helpful to help support the show and take care of some things like hosting and new equipment that we need sometimes things like that would appreciate your help uh, as well. And you can always uh, also just tell a friend that would be helpful as well. Cause I suspect today's story is going to resonate with you in some way. So let's uh, feel free to do that. All right, let's dive in because I think this, let's get into this conversation. It's going to be great. Our guest today, she's a writer and speaker living with a rare autoimmune disorder in the crumbling empire of the American South. So that tells you a little something about uh, where she is and what's going on there. Can't wait to hear more about that. She has a master's degree in theological studies from Boston University School of Theology. And when she's not writing, she's sitting on her porch or hiking with her husband and her rescue dog. I also include my dog in my profile because everybody loves a loves a puppy, right? Uh, our guest is Lindsay Medford. Lindsay, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful to have you on the show. I was just seeing that you were on some other shows with some friends of mine. I thought that was cool. And uh, I was excited to be able to have a chance to speak with you today. Welcome to Halfway There. And I can't wait to get into kind of some more of your story. And I know you've written a little bit. We'd love to hear more about that also. But where does the present moment find you? Where does God have you right now? We have moved in November, December from Charleston, South Carolina to Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, which is back to... It was in the works for a little while. We wanted to get back to the mountains and closer to family. And then um, that was a few months before my first book release, traditionally published book. And then I think two weeks after we closed on our house here, I found out I was pregnant after three years of infertility. So it's we're in a transitional space and we're in a really joyful space. Um, and I'm super grateful that God has brought us here, um, and landed us amid some family and friends right now. And, um, in a back, back in a place that feels like home. So, yeah. yeah. Are you from there? Are you from Chattanooga? I am from North Atlanta and then I went to college okay. near year. So 
this is this is home. Yeah. Which is remarkably not very far. Like I would have thought that it was further because I'm from Iowa and I don't know anything about the South, but uh, oh, right. that, it's like yeah, Tennessee and 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 Georgia really they share a border, right? So it's not really at that uh, not as far as you would think. Yeah, Chattanooga is on the border. I mean, I can yeah, walk yeah, okay. to Georgia from my house even though I'm in Tennessee in Chattanooga. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Love that. I learned that uh, a few years ago. We took a trip down south and we had dinner in Nashville. And we slept that night in Atlanta. I didn't, and I didn't know it was that like that that far. It was not that very far. Uh, awesome. Okay, so I want to mention your book here because uh, you mentioned publishing it, and I, it sounds like it's uh, it's pretty related to where you are at the moment because uh, it's called "My Body and Other Crumbling Empires." Right. So lessons for a he, for healing in a world that is sick. So what? Like we're gonna get into like why, and I hope that your story will lead us to all of that, but. You you wrote this book. Like, what were some of your main kind of reflections and hopes for your for your audience as you wrote it? Oh wow, yeah. I there's um, I really wanted to write for other people with chronic and autoimmune illnesses, of course. Um, and I also really wanted to write for people who don't experience chronic illness or disability to. Um, share some of what I have learned from my story, from my body and from my friends with chronic illness and disability about how we have learned often very involuntarily uh, new patterns of life and new ways of living that are actually um, can be really beautiful. Um, And so to bring out that experience of what, what is hard about this life and this body, of course, but also what is um, countercultural and uh, life-giving, and what is what has what have I learned with and about God through this experience and um, this embodied experience and this communal experience that I've come to share with other people who live with yeah. illness and disability. So those were my, my I had I wanted both of those audiences to feel really seen. Mm, I love that. I love that. And so there's, there's one thing in particular we can either, you can address it and then, um, or we can maybe we'll come back to, or maybe it'll turn out to be a theme. I don't know. But what I love about um, this idea of exploring how, how, how does your embodied experience relate to your life with God, right? Is I think as an evangelical growing up, we didn't take our bodies very seriously, right? Yeah. We didn't have any, we didn't, we didn't have a real good theology or, or what I would call a holistic theology of the human person um, as like, actually our bodies do, uh, you know, have an, have an effect on our experience of God and who he is and who, how we relate to him. And it's like, even I would say the fact that Jesus has a body not only had a body, but has a body yes. right? forever. Yes. He has a body that is scarred. So we, we will not like, we'll never, he will never not have a body. Mm-hmm. Neither. And neither will we, that says something about the dignity and the value of, of the body and how that helps us interact with the Lord. So I love that you wrote it. That was what really, what I found attractive. I was like, I want to hear about that because we don't do it very often. Well, yeah, absolutely. We don't. <laughs> um, we, I, 
there was such a divide for me too growing up between the spiritual and the physical and and one of one was much better than the other and one was a little scary um and i saw you had becky castle miller on a few weeks ago Uh and that same i went on a similar journey to her as well with um coming very late in life to to my emotions as well and and that is an embodied experience that is our emotions are totally inextricable from our physical experiences um as well and so yeah i um that emotional journey and coming to to through actually through theology classes in my christian undergrad um yeah was where i started my teachers were like hey jesus has a body it can't be that bad (laughs) like you're saying and um that those classes and the experiences i got to have as a newly minted adult um started to really change how I saw who I am you know as you know what is a person and um Mm. how I wanted to experience the world and experience God and um so that was you know that was a happy shiny journey for a few years of like now I'm (laughs) climbing in the mountains now I'm uh swimming in the rivers (laughs) i'm learning uh this uh, martial art and finding learning breath prayers and having these really beautiful easy kind of you know um i think a lot of young people have a pretty easy relationship with their body and then um tell me it's almost overnight (laughs) that 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 kind of crashed into you know there's a whole other dimension to what it means to be embodied as well yeah i bet okay so let's let's go back and dive into that because i think it's interesting that it was studying theology Mm because i do think when we dive into it a lot a lot of american evangelicals are what i call closet gnostics right we have this idea which is sort of a platonic from plato idea that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad um and that's actually not the witness of scripture or, or of, I think even historical Christian theology, it's just kind of what we pick up. Um, but you come, we come to that and we fix it by studying theology, right. By studying and understanding what actually, uh, you know, our theology is. So we'll come back to that for you, but I'd like to go back into your story and figure out how you got there. Cause you didn't get there overnight, right. You just, you lived into that experience. So, uh, are you from, you said you're from Tennessee. Like, is that where you grew up? Is that your that's your stomping ground. So it's sort of the, you said uh, the crumbling empire of the American South. Like that's, t- tell me about that. Yeah. The Southern Appalachians, um, North Atlanta and. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah, That's right. Yeah. I think there's like a Gnostic piece that comes at us from multiple angles. Right. Cause there's the piece of like the church part where um, maybe it's easier to, con- to feel a sense of control or safety. I don't, I don't know the church part where where we demean the body then there's like the the wider cultural part too of um like consumerism and individualism Mm -hmm. are end up disconnecting us from our bodies in all kinds of ways and 
even more recently, technology really has done that to us a lot. Um, And so in this um, North Atlanta suburb, suburb, those were all in my life. And I I did realize as I was writing a book, I realized um, I had this autoimmune disease as a child and I went into remission around my adolescence. And so I did also realize that I had developed a lot of coping mechanisms and ways of viewing myself that helped me escape from suffering, physical suffering as a little kid. Um, What was that experience like as a little kid? So you, can you describe, I don't know if you, I don't know if you name, you know, what that disorder is and then Kind of what was the experience like as a as a child? Yeah, um, well, I have the Shet syndrome, which is just a very rare vasculitis, and as it because it affects the blood vessels, it can manifest anywhere in your body at any time. Um, oh wow! I think my experience compared to a lot of other people's is it's not it's also not does it usually show up in children? People tend to encounter it for the first time in their 20s or 30s so compared to other children with this disease it my i it wasn't as bad it was on the milder side but it was still affected my life almost every day um like in what way so i had um like skin problems i have um the one of the big one of the main identifiers of bichette syndrome is uh, mouth ulcers and people will end up, I would end up with 10 or 20 of those at a time, making it really hard to talk or kind of hard to eat or yeah, hard to eat. Um, other skin problems that would keep me home from school. I had arthritis and that just made me feel weird. <laughs> and, yeah. Right. As a young person. Yeah, um, went to a lot of doctors when I was diagnosed, I had a, um, a, an eye, involvement that could have blinded me but was treatable since we found it um so I just went to a lot of doctors I missed a good amount of school um I was sick with other things a lot and um I so I read books and I um I did church things to to feel a sense of escape and to feel a sense of of finding out who I was outside of this sense of suffering um, as a really small child. And um, I think it's really, I don't, I don't know. I was young enough that I don't know if I'll ever untangle it all exactly, you know, but sure. Yeah. And then um, I went into remission right around adolescence, but that's also when like, everything around you including the church gets really weird about your body again right (laughs) oh yeah right yeah okay well so i'm really interested in that what your messages were that you picked up maybe consciously or unconsciously we all have those as because you were already dealing with something physical did you have a sense i mean we can i mean we could we could describe it but friends like so the southern culture it's sort of a churchy culture anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a, it's a church is sort of the center of social life and yeah. sort of a, sort of a cultural Christian kind of a thing. Right. So uh, I'm assuming that was your experience. Yes. 
and you were going and this was sort of your social network and everything. All right. But you're getting these kinds of um, messages and having this kind of physical experience. Was there a spiritual component to it for you before you get into like adolescence? Yeah. I mean, I think. um... And there doesn't have to be, I'm just curious like (laughs) what that's like, what, what in your recollection how, where did God factor in for you that for you? Yeah. I remember praying for healing a lot. Um, even, and even if I, I understood that I had a chronic illness that might not go away for, for healing from a specific flare up or something. Um, Oh, sure. Yeah. That was, that was pretty confusing as a kid that, um, Jesus heals all these people, right. All the time. And you you think that if you met Jesus, he would heal you, and then all your problems would be solved. And right. it's like, so Jesus is in my heart, but still not close enough to make this go away, right? Um, right. So it's it's almost like this: Hey, Jesus is going to solve or heal all your problems, and then he doesn't, and then you have to make a, you have to make those two fit together. Yeah. So. I think that was always like a big, an unresolved question. And also perhaps I think maybe there, I also got this sense from my particular church culture that if you are going through a suffering that God doesn't resolve for you, then you have to make, make all this meaning out of it and make, turn it into a redemption story, like by hook or by crook. (laughs) And I probably felt a lot of pressure to do that as well. Mm. Um, isn't that interesting yeah and I, I think that <laughs> like, that that's that's also something that our wider culture wants from us as well yeah oh that, okay so that's a great point about suffering and so friends mm-hmm. I just want to point this out because on the spiritual journey suffering is actually a critical component like like it's a it's an ingredient not an aberration Right. Like it's so we have to think of it that way. Remember, even Jesus learns obedience through suffering. And I don't think we want to talk about that very much. Uh in, in Hebrews it says that. But we we, we go through it. And so you it sounds like you we want to redeem it. We want that sort of resurrection day. So whatever. But you have to go through the through the hard part. That's where all the learning is. That's where all the all the value is. So you were going through that, maybe wondering about that, not not exactly sure, it sounds like. Yeah. And of course, these are the messages I'm getting from the church, but I also, you know, I did have a pretty strong sense of having some sort of relationship with God and Jesus and being yeah. being loved by God. And I don't think that that depended on either um, being good at suffering or, or hiding my suffering uh, in the ways that maybe I thought it did at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, expand what that means, being good at suffering. Right. Well, like I mean to turn it into a nice pretty story while it's still happening. Um, I think is a really unfair pressure we put on people, often people who are who are not in it. I would say almost always it's the people who are not in the middle of it that are say are sort of implicitly going, okay, but make this nice for me or make this Give me the lesson oh, man. before you've learned it. Um, yeah, or or there, I heard a lot of stories 
growing up about people that would say, you know, it was the hardest time of my life and God was right there with me and I was really grateful for it. And I I don't think those stories were disingenuous, but they could come across as like, if you're suffering and you're not grateful for it and you don't feel some sort of spiritual mm-hmm. ecstasy in the middle of it, then you are doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amen. Yes and amen. Because that's exactly how how it works. And so you that's I love that point. We do it's may not be, you may not feel joy in it, right? James mm-hmm. says, consider pure joy. And so we think, oh, we got to be joyful. You don't have to actually feel joy, right? You just have to know that what's happening is maybe some refinement, but that sucks sometimes. <laughs> it can be very, very difficult and that's okay. Uh, thank you for um uh, fascinating that that kind of had had an effect did that change how you saw god at all or was it just sort of a thing you were living with yeah you know i think this is sort of in, maybe a little more implicit in the in the book than explicit but that was something that really changed for me in encountering this again as an adult was that i think before i thought of I had I I thought of God as really needing a lot from me, um, needing my needing me to make a sense of my story. I thought of God as um, we talk about God using us, and like a lot yeah. of pressure to be useful at all times, and. I think that gets wrapped up in our sort of cultural ideas of like what is productivity wow. and what is adulthood as well. Um, so, yeah, I I mean, I think I did experience God being with me. And I also, from those church messages, I had this sense that God like was had given me this special burden to bear or um, just wanted me to make something out of my story that would, would glorify God. And that was a lot of pressure. Um, And I don't, I'm not sure, like, um, I'm still not sure exactly. A lot of the ways we talk about glorifying God or my question is always like, well, what is is God struggling to glorify to be to experience glory like um so yeah I and so as an adult I as you know my physical and emotional and life experience of this disease was much worse and uh felt much more inescapable and much more all-consuming for a much longer time and in sitting with that and sitting with god as an adult and in an in a new space of prayer praying with my body alongside my body praying um with different communities i realized god was saying i'm i didn't make you to do things for me (laughs) i mean i i made you to be together and we can do that 
if you're sick. <laughs> we can do that if wow. you never accomplish anything. We can do that if you're this story and this like testimony never makes sense to anyone else. And um was that a specific moment or was that a season for you? Like how did that how'd that come about? Because that's those are the kind of stories I, I want to hear. I would say I think a season is a good way to describe it of sitting on the the couch and I I've had a lot of people yeah. have remarked to me about this little piece of the book where I wrote about my prayers and I'm like staring at my new puppy. Um yeah. We had we had just moved then to Charleston and we had just gotten a new puppy and then I got sick. And so I the only thing I could do every day was like mostly take care of myself and mostly take care of this puppy. And I was like started to be super resentful of her because I would take her out and she would like bring all this joy to other people and she was connecting us with our neighbors and she like just with seemed to be accomplishing more in her day than I did in mine <laughs> and I would say to God like I'm sorry did I really just like do a master's degree and move to a new state in order to feed this dog and God was like I mean that might be okay if if you did <laughs> um wow God was like like is that objectively so bad or is there are there all these other messages you've absorbed about your worth that make that feel yes. bad <laughs> wait okay we gotta we gotta unpack that a little bit yeah. because i love that the lord is saying this to you and i think this is the this is part of the dignity that we have to we have to maintain for the human person mm-hmm. right um in our culture, you, you kind of, you're alluding to this yeah. and we start, started to go there, but our culture worships productivity. Like that's, that's the thing that we love most and we want to get done. That's just, it's an American thing. It's an American idol, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so suffering and being in a place where all you can do is be on the couch and care for a puppy is like flies in the face of all that. Right. Like, it's just like, you can't, so I can see you were, you were struggling with that and going, Hey, wait, this is, and even our Christian language, I, I was thinking of reflecting while you're talking. When I, t- I talk to one thing I do is I teach podcasters and one of the calls to action I use sometimes is, Hey, God has things for you to do. Right. Mm-hmm. God, guys, there's things he's created for you from before the foundation of the world to do. And maybe your podcast is one of those things to help spread what, you know, the gospel in your niche, whatever that is. I'm going, wow, that's interesting. Right. Maybe that is true, but also maybe it's not. Right. And maybe, and maybe, and what if it's not? And if, what if we're contributing to this worship of productivity when, uh, what really matters is that you, we learn to live life with God, right? This is Sky Jatani, his, his thing, um, in partnership with him. And so I hear you talking about learning that and hearing from him. You, you can describe it how you want. It sounds to me sweetly, right? He's sweetly talking to you, kindly talking to you as, uh, as, a, as a father who doesn't care what you actually produce, but he cares that you're there. Right. I think, Very different. 
I think I said a lot of times, like I've been told all my life, I'm like a successful or middle-class young woman of ambition. I've been told all my life that I, that there's things you have for me to do. So what are they and when are we going to do them? And (laughs) I think um, God said over and over in the stillness and in the silence and in the waiting and in the, um, the long process of learning to be with my body I heard I think God was saying well I have things for you to be wow (laughs) um but I don't have like a cosmic checklist of to-dos for your life (laughs) unnecessarily you know I mean I think some of us you know in very specific cases in most of our lives we encounter an assignment of some sort but um mostly when I, I think all the time, I think and write all the time about vocation still. And, but I think of those as ways that we learn to be, learn to be with God, with ourselves and with other people. And so often we think we have something to accomplish in a community or in a, on a project or in a space when like really what we, the way we hope to see that thing transformed is most um is accomplished by how we choose to be in space not by what we choose to do and what the deadline on that is yeah yeah interesting okay so i think we kind of jumped we jumped forward a little bit i want to get to theology also we'll get there in just a second mm-hmm. but uh i i kind of kind of uh slowed us down a little bit to go before you were talking about you went into remission when you were in adolescence and, and early, I guess, whenever that was. Um, but that was it. You were, there were some things that you learned there too. And that was, that was different. So ex- take us through that and maybe what you experienced, uh, particularly with the Lord in that season also. I went to a Christian college. So I started taking Bible classes at 18 and then I ended up majoring in theology eventually. Yeah. So I, these are undergrad. Um, half Bible classes and half more historical or systematic theology classes where um, so we're talking about this from the historical perspective I had to learn like all the weird like there are so many different sects of Gnosticism with these crazy names that I had to learn and um, then also the the Bible the biblical piece of where when we go back to these texts and we look at them in context and we pay attention to the cultures and the languages in which they were written and what they were written for, we see that a lot of our like anti-material ideas that we are just things we have imposed onto the Bible. And so when we get to re-excavate that in these, or when I got to do that in these classes, um there's so much deep concern and and love and uh delight in the material on the part of god in the scriptures um and so with that that really coincided with just moving away from home and doing you know in college you one hopes that you do lots of new things and meet lots of new people and so I was learning a new, I learned some mixed martial arts just 
because that's what happened. <laughs> and I was on an <laughs> improv theater team and uh, here in the mountains doing some hiking and got to, and then, and then having these, um, so some crises around my emotions as well, that really, you know, all these experiences asked me this question of like, who are you? What do, what do you believe about what it means to be human? What it means to fulfill a vocation um, as you and to be in community and all these things. And so that was again, like a really long season, a really long process of just Mm. pulling the ideas from class together with the physical often experiences that I was having and communal experiences. Um, So that was a really fruitful time. Yeah. Interesting. I'm really fascinated. So, so there's a season, the way I think about the spiritual journey, there's a season, you know, you find, you come to come to faith that's a season. There's a season of kind of developing your faith and kind of, I call it learning the way of Jesus, right? There's this kind of, and for a lot of us, that is study. It's showing up at church every time it's open, you know, it's, it's volunteering. It's, it's all those things. Um, and then it also can include really studying theology and really digging into, into things. And that can really shape how it is. And when I hear you talk about that, uh, you know, asking the questions about what it means to be human, that kind of starts to to shape us a little bit. Because you you have sort of a, this was interested in your story. So the, the next season after that is kind of what I call finding yourself in Christ, which usually includes a dark night of the soul of some kind of spiritual desert, whatever you want to call it. But you have kind of a built-in spiritual desert, right? Like, like a, spirit, a spiritual kind of dark night. I, I, did that, would you consider it that? Or would you like that you wrestled with it at different times or how, how would you think of that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how your audience feels about the word deconstruction, but I just, yeah. um, I think okay having to, having to rebuild is something I've done many, many times now is something I'm, I myself am much less afraid of than I once was, but, and I would actually say that college learning it was it was the first time that I mm. had to do that like um just certain things I believed about the Bible and the way Christianity was supposed to be were really very gently dismantled in these theology classes and so then I had to go home go back to my dorm and be like okay my whole world just like this the this huge block just got pulled out of the foundation and and what am I going to do with that and that was a really good really gentle ultimately practice for continuing to do mm-hmm. this as we go through life these things keep happening and that's just the way of how it is and that it's okay <laughs> um yeah so yeah I think I had some of those some similar experiences around different things when I left college and moved to New York and Massachusetts and just because life changes and you encounter different people and different cultures and different churches and you're like wow this thing is again is bigger than I thought you know and each time we get to experience a bigger God than we thought right and um so 
I had a period a period of really brief but super intense depression in college mm. that I would call a dark night of the soul. Um, I don't know that I tend to uh, reserve that the dark night language for a, a sense of real spiritual desert. And I wouldn't say that getting sick felt like that because mm. I did have a sense of being in like a, a long and confusing, but being in conversation with God. <laughs> okay. Um, so there have been other times in my life of learning to know and respect and love the mystery of God and the, the silence of God, but um, maybe, yeah. maybe not in that deepest moment of physical suffering. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think, I think that's a fascinating um, take. And I was really curious on what that was like for you. Right. Cause mm -hmm. what that, cause it can be like, can look like lot, lots of different things. So uh, that's good. Okay. Well, so what um, I want to, I want to ask about uh, kind of, so you, you had that season of depression in college. Like, did you learn anything about yourself and about God through that season? Well, that was the first time after some some friends and some experiences in prayer started to pull me out of that depression. I looked back on it and I realized that my my body and my brain were trying to tell me something and when I wouldn't listen, they uh, were yeah. uh I needed rest. I needed to express my emotions and that was going to happen. And so when I wasn't willing to meet, to recognize and meet those needs for myself, my body and brain were like, all right, it's time to shut down. <laughs> um, we're going to sleep a lot. We're going to cry a lot. And um, because those were the things I needed. Uh, right. And I, what I also needed was to, be compassionate towards my own depression. Instead, I really withdrew socially and um, just kept asking myself what was wrong with me, which was not very helpful. And so as, when I got right. out of it, and then when you're in the middle of depression, that's just, that's what that, you're not thinking straight. That's sort of the definition right. of it. And so when I, as I emerged, I was like, that was really bad. I could have had really, really drastic consequences. And I have to kind of learn. I, I, I have a sense that that's coming for me again sometime in my life. And I need to understand what happened there a little bit and understand what's what I'm going to need in the future. Um, and so that was the first. And I'll also say that depression um, had a lot to do with just a lot of guilt and shame and mm. being able to emerge from it was also um, came out of an, as some experiences of God saying, you know, there is so much more to this Christian life than guilt and shame. And there's always been grace since before this ever happened. And there's so much more to to our relationship and my love than living up to these imaginary expectations, right? And so 
Um, yeah. That was the, that depression was the first time I started to realize like, oh, my, this body, mind, amalgam thing that God has given me has these signals and I might not like the experience of the signals, but they are actually gifts to me about what I need, uh, about what might be wrong around me. And if I can be patient enough with them, they are also offering me some ways forward towards meeting those needs and healing. Um, and so that was definitely an experience I began to draw on later with chronic illness as I was starting to ask, is there something, is there a way through this available to me besides just the sense of battling my body? Um, I re I remembered that situation and then again where, where we were talking about the productivity conversation had a new and different experience of the grace of god of like mm. with there these these expectations were never from me necessarily um right. and so then i started to when i got sick physically i started to pay attention to these signals and ask what what they were trying to give to me yeah learning to to hint to it sounds like learning to respect those signals right and and take them seriously yeah i mean i think i really believe that god speaks through our bodies um i believe like if god made them and God loves them, and God has a body. Like, there's more to this than just like. I don't know. I think there's well, in the Hebrew concept of the human is that our bodies are inherent to our being. Um, right. And so, if we believe that God, you know, I'm talking about God speaking through my sort of mind and emotions. I also think God speaks through our bodies, and um, in that way, I really it's not just respecting the signals. It's also like really, well, just respecting them really deeply and being willing to hear things from our bodies that we might not want to hear. And even a sense of perhaps obedience to what our bodies are asking of us, even if we don't really like it. Um, yeah. Because... Friends, friends, what if, what if your body, what if your body has invitations for you? Invitation vocations. Right? That's what I was about to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, we'll elaborate on that. I'll let you, let you talk about it. They get to hear from me all the time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, if, as I was saying, if the Hebrew conception of, of the human being is that the body is inherent to who we are, it's not just like there's three parts of us or something, but like we are to be human is to be embodied. I think to be ourselves is to answer the vocation of our bodies. Um, and so that can look like tons of things. You know, some people's bodies call them to climb climb all the mountains and some people's bodies call them to the couch. <laughs> um, all of our, our emotions uh, invite us to know what our, to know and understand our desires and our needs. Our um, 
our longings and our delights show us something about what we are meant to do in the world and again who we are meant to be um and so and our bodies are the only places that we can experience community and i think we forget that a lot um you and i are looking at each other and using our voices to connect um and we so much of how we show up to a community or a relationship is so much more about our bodies and our, our embodied communication and our actions than our words. And so the more we can attune to our bodies, whether or not we are sick or mentally ill, the more we can be sensitive to those, to this instrument this poem that god has given us and therefore sensitive to the vocations of what it means to dwell in our own specificity of who we are and what we've been given yeah absolutely man i love that so i think this idea of, of invitation so um friends one of the things that you must do in order to grow spiritually is learn to listen it is the key critical discipline that you can develop for yourself. And not only, so in this case, we're talking about learning to listen to your body. Like, what is that asking of me? Maybe like I love to go, or I've been trying to work out because let's just say Eric put on a few pounds through COVID. All right. So I've got to, got to let go of some of those, but I got to listen. Like I can't go every day or else I'm going to, I got the body needs a little time to, to rest. Right. I got, I got to allow for that. I got to listen to that. This works also, not only like in, like in your reading of scripture, you should read, you should consume, but you can't only consume, right? You also need to listen and you need to take a minute and go, uh, what is this saying? So a practice like Lectio Divina can be really helpful. And it, like, maybe you've read the Bible in a year for seven years or something. I don't know. Maybe take a different practice this year, right? Some, something else that you can do in order to, to, to consume and, uh, or just to just listen and not have to make it do something. Just listen to it. Listen to God. Listening prayer is another thing. Listening to people in your circle, your friends, or, you know, in your community, whether that's an online community or an embodied community, listening without having to respond is a key practice. It's a spiritual practice. And I think it's what I, so what I hear you saying with, yes, let's listen to our bodies. I'm going, yeah, let's just learn to listen. Cause that is so powerful. It's such a powerful practice for us overall. Yeah. Um, I, I also going back to Gnosticism, I think of the, the mm. body as the sort of underdog of the, of ourselves, yeah. of our of learn of this listening process. We are we're so good at listen. We are so good at listening to our racing thoughts, and we're um, a lot of us are pretty good at listening to our emotions. We are learning a lot um, through psychology about that. And then there's the body that's still like, I don't know, I don't, especially you know, I don't know if I like this, um, and. Right. I don't know if I respect this. I don't know if I respect my body enough to actually pay attention and to actually like heed the call. (laughs) 
And um, I think there's actually listening to our bodies is an incredible practice of humility that can be a really beautiful starting point for learning to listen to those who are disrespected and oppressed around us. Um, because there is such a, it's uncomfortable and difficult for so many of us. And there is such wisdom and such, um, so much to be gained and learned and invited to and taught about ourselves from being, staying in that uncomfortable space. hundred percent. You have to embrace being uncomfortable in order to grow. Okay. So I want to ask about this. I, I could talk about this forever. I could talk about this whole idea, you know, Gnosticism and body and kind mm-hmm. of embodiment and all this stuff. Cause it really, I think we don't talk about it enough, but I want to ask this other question because I love, I'm also a sucker for a great title. And so my body and other crumbling empires is a great title. Good job uh, for thinking of that. But so what the, the, the crumbling empires and like, I know you mentioned the sort of your sort of Southern kind of, you know, upbringing and all that. What, what are you referring to there? And and what are, you know, what are we going to get out of, out of the book with that? Yeah, I guess maybe if we're talking theology, like incarnation and empire are the two like yeah. major theological themes. And so um, the story of the book is about kind of coming to understand where my body intersects with the empires we live under in, or I live under in the U.S. Um, and also understanding, coming to understand um, that empires sort of inherently eventually crumble. <laughs> and when we, yeah. when something is built upon constant expansion on oppression and extraction and violence and not upon the sustaining and connecting love of God, then it is going to fall apart. And it's also often going to implode rather spectacularly. Um, And so these were things that I had again been studying in my second theology, my master's theology degree um, had been coming to understand an experience in community with poor people and oppressed people coming to try and um, learn how we change or subvert or heal empire through activism. And then I, I got sick and there was a full reckoning with how I was still as much as I wanted to resist empire, I was still embodying so much of what it teaches us. And Mm. including some of the things we've been talking about with the productivity culture um, and the Gnosticism and the not listening. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I found myself drawing all these connections and I really wanted the, the title really guided the book to make sure to keep continue bringing these two ideas together. Yeah. Wow. I love that. It definitely rings true for me. I think, uh, friends, so the, the kingdom of God, I've been thinking a lot about the kingdom of God. I mm-hmm. went to, uh, 
a conference where uh, what I can only describe as political syncretism was wild and on display um, for sure. But the, the idea of the kingdom of God is very, very different than the empire. And the United States, my friends, is an empire, whether you want to embrace that or not. The kingdom of God is not the same thing. I keep going back to this analogy. At one point, Jesus calls the kingdom of God like yeast. I know he uses the yeast metaphor of other things, but he says it's like yeast, right? It's subtle. You put yeast into a dough, you don't even know it's there. You can't see it, but it works. And give it a few hours and you're going to see the results of it, right? The kingdom of God is like that. And uh, I think uh, learning our suffering and, and listening to our bodies and listening to what God is doing, paying attention is very much like that as well. It may not have or hold the power, but it is powerful. And that is a very different way to look at the world. I love it. Lindsay, the book again is My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, Lessons for Healing in a World that is Sick. I really appreciate you sharing not only that, but also your story. Your website is lindsaymedford.com. So friends, you can go check that out as well. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh Thank you for all these questions. I really have enjoyed um, and getting to talk, dive more into the spiritual practice part of this. Um, I think just like we've been saying, um, if you're in a space of suffering, if you're in a space of watching someone suffer, um, there. I think often our suffering is compounded so much by these messages we're getting from outside of the actual voice of God, the actual um, voice of scripture. Um, and often there's a lot to be, often God is, when we're doing that listening, when we are like really still, God is inviting us to let go of some of these messages and, and particularly some of these expectations for ourselves or beliefs about who we are that aren't actually serving us um which is you know not to add on another like tack on a to-do list or a fix to someone's experience of suffering but to offer one of those invitations to um to find seek out a space of rest where we can hear that voice of god Yes and amen. I think that is so needed and important, friends. It will, your spiritual journey will require at some point to some rest and some and some moments of, of listening. I'm going to invite you uh, to, to maybe consider one of my favorite spiritual practices is, and I haven't done it in a long time, so I'm going to take this advice myself, is to go to a silent retreat house here in Colorado. There's one that I love to go to. And I got to lock my phone in my car because otherwise I'll just stare at it the whole time. And I take a journal and a book and maybe and my Bible. And then I go and that's like the place I can just be, right? Just be for a little bit. Maybe you need one of those. Take out all the stimuli and just be for a little bit. It's okay. It's the antidote. Uh, and then maybe one of the books you take with, with you is My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, right? Just check, check that out. Lindsay, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you.